So this morning, we're going to talk about the book of Romans, or the chapter, the book of Romans, but the chapter 5. Um, a lot of times in Scripture, when you open up the pages, you find passages that require some in-depth investigation to really understand what the author is trying to say. And you find some passages that require you to spend a lot of time listening to them, reading them over and over again, and trying to map them out to understand exactly what the author wants you to hear. But I don't feel that Romans 5 is one of those chapters. This summer you're going to hear uh, from different members uh, from our community, from our, our family faith here, uh, about why they believe in Jesus Christ, about what it was about having faith in Jesus um, that drew them in, that caused them to uh, become a believer. And for me, I would say that the text of Romans 5 is probably one of those books for me. Um, because when Paul speaks, this is one of those times where he does so very eloquently. And, and the message that Paul has in this chapter is phenomenal. And it's phenomenal because it speaks about the purpose of having faith in Christ. Now, I know that none of us in here look at the world through rose-colored glasses and believe that everything is hunky-dory and everything goes great all the time. We've, we've seen evidence of that. We are evidence of that this morning, are we not? That sometimes things in life just don't go the way that we want them to. Sometimes things uh, do the exact opposite. We all experience hardship and struggle and trial. So Paul is addressing this, and he's not doing it uh, even so much at the time when, when people need to hear it. Remember, Paul's been talking about Christ being the one who justifies and Christ being the one who does the work for our salvation and that uh, all that we receive is, is freely given because of faith, not because we've earned it or because uh, we have been able to establish ourselves as some great mystic rule followers. But so he talks about this faith and so the righteousness and then immediately he talks about uh, what happens because of that faith. And that's where we find ourselves in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me and we're going to read that chapter. It's only 25 verses, or 21 verses. Um, but let's pray before we begin to read this. Father God, I ask this morning that as we open your word, God, that your spirit would speak through the words on the page. That they would become the words that make up who we are. That when we hear them, we don't hear instructions as in a classroom that we need to listen to for our betterment, but we hear our very identity. We hear the voice of you who spoke us into existence, speaking us and inviting us to live as this is who we are. God, illumine the message that you have for us through your text this morning. Help us to hear you Help us to respond to you. God, help us to become alive as a result of hearing your word this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul begins the chapter out with the best word ever. The word therefore. We've talked about it time and time again. He has just told us about how salvation brings forth the change. How faith is the thing that brings about salvation and believing and all the gifts come as a result of being convinced that God's word is true. And he uses the example of Abraham. So then after all of that, he says, the 
right in God's sight by our faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless is when Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending his son Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right with God in God's sight by the blood of Christ, would he certainly save us from God's condemnation? For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has made us friends of God. When Adam sinned, Sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought about death, so that death spread to everyone, for everyone had sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died, and from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command to God as Adam did. Now, Adam is the symbol and a representation of Christ, who was and is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For by the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation on everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness would bring a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they really were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became even more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in true Paul fashion, you can see he does not leave anything for us to not think about. He covers the whole gambit from how sin entered into creation, the effect of that sin on creation, but then how God on his own time and his own cost came in to undo that sin through the work of Jesus Christ. The first half of this chapter about how faith brings joy is something that is critical for all Christians to understand. And I know since we've been in the book of Romans, I've said everything that Paul has talked about has been critical for us to hear and to understand. And we're not going to let up today because I feel like what Paul is doing in the book of Romans is he is writing out 
the definition of the new identity of somebody who has received life in Jesus Christ. So he begins this chapter with that word that therefore, since what he had talked about and what Adam had accomplished and what Abraham had accomplished in their faith, now we are able to be made right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. You know, we, we talk this game every year and we celebrate the different seasons where Christ came and he was born as a baby in a stable completely different than all the rulers and all the conquerors of the world. And he grew up and he lived a sinless life and he did all these miracles and these things that totally went against the way that humanity was living and the way that humanity functioned and reasoned. And he died and he rose again. And we say that when he rose again, he freed us from death and he invited us to new life. But then very quickly, the Christian story tends to go back to being a lot like the world. We may have a little bit of a different standard, but in reality, we look just like our neighbor. And so when Paul writes his letters, and remember, he's writing to a church that probably did not look a lot different than we do today in the society. Honestly, probably didn't look a whole lot different than ours does today. But when Paul writes about the life of a believer, he writes about somebody whose identity is very drastically different than the world around him. He begins by saying that when we have peace with Jesus Christ, our faith is brought because we have realized we're in a place of undeserved privilege. And you would agree that being in a relationship with God is somewhere about an undeserved place where we are not supposed to be. Am I right? There's nobody here in this building that is good enough or righteous enough or holy enough to be in the privilege of God. But he says that the person that has been made, with, made right with God their perspective has changed where they joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. I made a note here at some point during my study that said the mark of salvation is evangelism. What happens when you get excited about something? What do you do? You talk about it. Am I right? That boat that you're going to get, you tell your friends what kind of motor it has, what the draft of it is. Does anybody know what a draft on a boat is? That's, okay, that's more of a coastal talk. We don't talk about that with duck boats. We say, well, how low does it sit in the water? But that's all it is. We talk about turning radius and how the camouflage might blend in with the surroundings or how fast it will scream across the lake. Everybody knows more about your boat than the pamphlet tells them by the time your boat gets here. Am I right? Or that new car that we're going to get. Everybody don't know about that new car, right? But Paul says that the mark of somebody who has been born again, who has established themselves in Christ and understands this place of privilege in God is excited about it and they look forward to it and they are joyous about it. So they tell people about it. So Paul says rejoice even when you run into trials or problems. Is there anybody in here whose first response when something bad happens is to rejoice? We might say thank you Lord, but it's not what we're meaning, am I right? That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? But Paul says for somebody that has been established in Christ, Trials are okay because we realize that what is immediately before us is not the ultimate of what God has for us. It's not the ultimate of what God has planned for us. So while we may be displaced, while we may have some, some struggles going on, we have to remember that in Christ our perspective has been changed. That God is not looking at dealing with us only in our immediate, but God has already set for us an eternity. Or he has plans for us. So trials are okay 
if we're looking in the right direction. I remember on our hiking trips, sometimes when you'd wake up in the morning, you'd be a little tired. You'd be a little sore. You'd be uh, uh, wishing that you were somewhere else. And then you'd get up and you'd stretch and you'd look. And you'd look down the trail and you'd see what was waiting. And then it just seemed like all of a sudden, all that soreness went away. Guys, uh, you ever, ever been tasked with cleaning the house? And you don't want to clean the house? But then you're thinking, as soon as the house is clean, we can go play golf or we can go. Is that just me? Is that just me? Okay, thank you. I don't know. What Paul wants us to understand is that trials are going to happen in life. Trials are inevitable. Hard things, hard things, hard times, hard things are going to happen in life. But he says, if we have been put in a place of privilege with God, then we can understand that these times of trial are meant to produce within us an endurance, to give us strength for our faith, knowing that God is working within us to increase the hope that he said is available in Jesus Christ. So basically, he's asking the people, okay, if you believe that Christ died and defeated death, and death is the ultimate of all the bad things that can happen to you. And then what else could you be worried about? Another guy that I used to work for, you'd ask him how he was doing, even on the first day, he'd say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. That's what he'd say. He'd say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And one time he said, well, I was doing all right, but I got over it. And I was like, well, that's, that's clever. What does that mean? He said, well, he said, I was doing okay, and then I realized I was worried about how I was doing he said, Jesus done did a lot more for me than I could do for myself. So I got over me being okay, and I realized that I'm too blessed to be stressed. I said, I like it. That works. That's good. So here's what I want you to hear this morning. That everything that God has in store for us is based solely and 100% off the fact that God created you, the person sitting next to you and the person across from you, because he loved you and he wanted to experience fellowship with you. And the sin and the things of selfishness and the trials and all that are things that God did not plan for you. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that could take care of not only those things, but also the things that we tend to cause to happen in our own lives. Anybody here ever experienced a hardship over something that they caused to happen? Maybe they thought they were a little bit wiser than they were. Maybe the good advice that they had heard they thought wasn't necessarily the best advice until afterwards and they realized it was really, really good advice. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to correct that, to take that away, to make sure that the effects of that were not going to influence the eternity that he had planned for you. And so when we have faith in that, when we believe in that, when we trust in that, that is when God is able to do work. That is when God is able to reveal to us who we truly are. That's why we read in God's word, to understand who God is and what God is doing. So God showed his greatest love for us while we were still sinning. If the greatest work of God's love is done when we're at our worst, then why do we allow sin to tell us that God is ashamed of us? You see, it goes back to that perspective understanding. 
That's what Paul's trying to correct here is a perspective understanding. We don't obey in order to be righteous. We obey because we trust in what Jesus had said. Christ died for us when we were at our worst. How much more could he accomplish in us when we are opening the door for him to do such things? 